I'm very happy to be joined by Dermot Corrigan, who covers La Liga and Spanish football for The Athletic. Um, and before we move on to James Rodriguez, um, it's been a very turbulent time for Spanish football over the past few weeks. Um, how have you found it, Dermot, uh, and what's it been like? Uh, yeah, it's been it's been quite exciting. Um, this is not the first time I said this, but I, it was, I was hoping a little bit that with the Spanish teams getting out of the Champions League and not that much money around for big name signings this summer, that it might be quite enough a couple of weeks leading up to the start of the season. But it uh, hasn't turned out that way. It's been fun. Like it's been, it's exciting when when big stuff is happening. It's it's exciting and a uh, Messi saying he's going to leave Barca is about as big as it gets. So, kind of, I said this as well in other places. It's a little bit sad that you know to see the relationship between Messi and Barcelona break down like that is you know, is not so much fun. But, you know, got to speak to a lot of interesting people, got to, to write some interesting stories as well about it. So it's been, um, yeah, it's been a, a, an exciting few weeks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as you say, from, from such a, you know, unfortunate situation, obviously, for, for people like yourself, opportunities will definitely arise. But yeah. firstly, um, this being from an Everton perspective for Grand Old Team, Colombian international James Rodriguez was officially announced as an Everton player. Now, this is a player that seemingly, ever since he scored that wonder goal against Uruguay as a 22-year-old at the 2014 World Cup, seems to be linked with a move to the Premier League. Uh, but even before that, maybe, you know, I remember watching him when he was at Porto with the likes of Falcao and Hulk mm-hmm. uh, and the success that he had there. Um, I don't mind saying this, it can, you know, it can come from a place of honesty, but it, it is quite surprising to see a player of such, you know, high stature and high profile join a team off the back of finishing 12th. Um, I mean, obviously, Everton have been underperforming and, you know, this being Carlo Ancelotti's upcoming first full season in charge of the club the you know the project as you were seem to you know look to pick up steam a little bit and seems a a lot more of an attractive proposition for potential you know new players um and I'd just like to ask obviously them as somebody based in Madrid uh I I guess you could give a, a real interesting perspective what were your initial thoughts on the move yeah, I was surprised, I guess, that initially when you think that Hamas was going to move on, like over the last couple of years when it's become kind of clear that he didn't fit into Zidane's plans, the teams that he had been linked with have, have all been, you know, teams who play in the Champions League regularly um, at that kind of level. Maybe not to go to PSG or to go to Man City at this stage in his career, but but it wouldn't have surprised me if he'd have moved to, to Manchester United or to Inter Milan or somebody like that. And Everton, you know, Historically, are such a big club and everything, but in recent years they haven't been been punching on, on that level. But it, it shows, I guess, first by being able to attract Carlo Ancelotti as the coach, that opens up a whole new, whole new level of possibilities to bring in players who will be attracted to to work with a coach like Carlo and Hamas because he's worked with him at two clubs before. You know, it makes a certain amount of sense that, given Everton have the money now, given that they have Ancelotti, and given that Hamas was was looking for a way out of Madrid or has been looking for for a, a new challenge or even just a place to, to play regularly that it, it ended up fitting pretty well, really. Yeah, most definitely. And I mean, in that first season with Real Madrid in particular, the 14-15 season, he, he turned in a really impressive 13 goals and 13 assists in La Liga. Um, James himself has paid compliments to Ancelotti saying that there's a mutual trust 
between the pair and he believes that Carlo is a manager that knows how to get the best out of him. Um, obviously, uh, Real Madrid, he's surrounded by world-class players, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, Karim Benzema, Tony Cruz. But can you speak to how Ancelotti managed to get the best out of him, particularly within that first season? It's definitely true that when he came into the team, he had all these guys around him, Ronaldo, Bale. You know, he was competing with these people for a place in the team. But James seemed to have, coming off the World Cup, he seemed to have the confidence that he could, you know, he was worth a place in that team or he was on the same level as these guys. And he did show it. You know, he scored some amazing goals, set up some assists. And he was he was automatically on the same wavelength. You know, some players come to Madrid. Luka Jovic is maybe a decent example of somebody who isn't sure where to run or you know, doesn't have the confidence to, to play a one-two with Cruz. It's almost like he's wondering, you know, whether he's good enough to be with these guys or he doesn't feel that he, he fits with them. But Hamas didn't have that didn't have that problem at all. That from day one came in, scored on his on his debut, I think scored in the Supercopa against Atletico, which which helped as well with the scruffy goal, but it, it got him off the mark. And Ancelotti was perfect for that situation because he could he could keep Hamas's confidence at, at a high level. He you know the, the team wasn't super tactically set up in, in a way that you know, he was asking Hamas to do a lot of extra work off the ball or, or to fulfill, you know, huge detailed tactical instructions. They were did were on a roll at that stage as well. They just won the Champions League for the first time in a long time. Everybody was super confident. And that was maybe the best Madrid team of, of my time covering them just to watch, you know, played some some amazing football, scored a lot of goals, scored, you know, a lot of, of great goals. And even sometimes you had a feeling that they were the winning games four or five nil and the players on the pitch were kind of battling each other in order to score the, the best goal. You know, whether it was Ronaldo would hit one in the top corner from outside the box and then Hamas would try something even more spectacular later in the game. And often it came off. You know, things just seemed to click for them, especially during the first six months of that season. And that was, you know, for Hamas, that was the highlight of his time in, in Madrid, for sure. Yeah. And I think to address the concerns that some people may have um there tends to be a, a blanket statement almost, uh, generally by rival fans, you know, Liverpool and whatnot, that he hasn't been very good for, you know, the past six years. Um, there is a notable decline in, in, his, in his turning in terms of stats um, until he rejoins with Carlo Ancelotti for that two-year loan spell at Bayern Munich. Um, I think it was seven goals and 11 assists in 17-18 uh, and seven goals and four assists in 18-19. Um, obviously, there's the, the turnover of manager. I think Rafa Benitez is in there as well before Zidane comes yeah, in. Sure. Um, but could you detail uh, and make clear for, for some Evertonians just where James's struggles began, which ultimately, I would say, led to his departure from Madrid? Yeah, it is. a you know He, he did fall down from that. State of grace, almost he was in in his first couple of months. It, it was a, a fairly steady fall. But the first problem for him was that there was all there was so many other great players in the team, and it was never sure exactly where he fitted into to them. When when things were on a roll and the team were doing really well and they were scoring four or five goals every game or almost every game, you know, it didn't matter so much. But when they started to to um, to seize up a bit in games and they started to, to drop points and lose things you looked at the team and you weren't sure where Hamas was going to play. You know, he didn't really fit into the three-man midfield, which which Ancelotti liked to have. Like, um, Di Maria was there before and he was somebody who had, maybe physically was was able to cover more ground, got his foot in it a little bit more as well than Hamas. And then in the front three, you had Bale, Benzema and, and Cristiano Ronaldo and it was very difficult to move any of them out. 
So whenever James did play, he tended to to do okay. He tended to keep scoring goals. I think it's you know it's true that his numbers dropped off, but but per minute it didn't drop off quite quite as badly. It was just that he wasn't in the team as much as he would have wanted. And Rafa came in, and Rafa had his own. You know, James wouldn't be an ideal Rafa player. I think it, it, it's fair to say. You know, people who who follow Rafa Benitez career he, he prefers guys who will follow you know pretty detailed instructions and who fulfill a tactical job for the team there wasn't you know maybe he tried to play him a little bit as a number 10 in, in the team as well a little bit but again just didn't fit for him Zidane came in then and one of Zidane's maybe most surprising moves was to, to move Casemiro you know who under under Benitez hadn't played that much was to bring Casemiro into the team as an automatic starter and that cut down the, the chances for Hamas even more to, to play in the team. So bit by bit he was being pushed out to the side more for more for tactical reasons than for anything wrong that, that he had done himself. He had a couple of, of niggling injuries as well that um that didn't help. And, and along the way though you know he maybe got a little bit frustrated with the situation because he he's quite a quite a prickly stubborn type of character. You know, he's come come a long way very fast in his career up until the point that he joined Real Madrid. And it was harder for him to accept that he wasn't, you know, the main man in the team or, or that everybody wasn't looking to him. And he was scoring goals quite often when he did play. But not that he got the hump completely, but just that um, he he didn't have the same confidence. that He wasn't gliding the way he had been through his, his first six months or so. And, and as time went on, there was kind of a wear and tear in, involved in that. And, you know, the, everybody, when then when he came into the team, he, he did less well. Coach was kind of going, okay, well, we gave you a chance, it didn't work out. And But in the end, himself and Zidane, you know, it's fair to say they didn't really see eye to eye. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting point that you do raise about the, you know, potential clash of personalities. Now, I <laughs> I wouldn't dream of bashing Zinazine Zidane, you know. He was one of my favourite players to watch growing up. When Real Madrid completed that historic back-to-back-to-back of Champions Leagues, obviously Carlo won one, but Zidane was the man to come in and win. Uh, the other two. Um, would it be fair to say that Zidane, you know, you pointed out a really good fact there in that, you know, the, the, that tactical factor of including Casemiro. Would you say that Zidane classifies James as a, as a luxury player? It's a weird one with, with Zidane because, you know, I loved him watching him as a player as well and remember him in, in some of the individual performances that he put in, in in huge games and he was not quite a luxury player but he was somebody who, who himself didn't fit into a such a strict system in the team even in the, the France team or in, that that he did so well and he you know he never had a, a set position really in, in that team maybe he drifted in a bit from the left the rest of the team was set up quite quite structurally um maybe to, to suit him as well in a way and and as a coach he's somebody who doesn't really doesn't want to to have to change things too much. Cristiano Ronaldo is a is a case on his own. You know, if Ronaldo scoring a goal a game, then you know the rest of the team are just going to have to to put up with it. But other players, whether it's Bale, Isco, James, um, even Danny Ceballos as well, is somebody who you know very good player, but just wasn't able to to fit within Zidane's system. And Zidane has gone from being somebody who was such an individualist as a player to being a, a real systems guy or a, a structure guy as a coach, which is maybe a bit of a surprise. But it does explain why. It was more difficult for Hamas to, to fit within that structure that Zidane had in mind for the team. With Casemiro as that, you know, holder, then you've got Cruz and Modric either side, then you've got the three guys, three big guys up front. And, you know, Hamas wasn't a like for like replacement for either of them. So when he did come in, he was kind of playing a little bit out of position, not, not in his favourite role. 
and you know that he can go for him at all. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point as well. I I genuinely do feel like up until as of late, really, I feel like that partnership of Cruz and Modric was the best in the world in terms of central midfield partnerships. Um, and just to to touch on the tactical aspects of things now, obviously, uh, I don't know if, if you'll know in depth, obviously, but I'm sure you've heard of the news of you know the the recent recruitment of Everton in that we brought in mm-hmm. Alan from Napoli uh, and yesterday finally confirmed Abdelai Decore from Watford. Um, for me, I feel like one of Carlo Ancelotti's biggest accomplishments in his short time at the club so far was that he finally nailed down a formation that the team seemed to operate well within. Obviously, we've gone about sticking Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison up as a front two, and we've stabilised in a 4-4-2 formation. Um, and I feel like, you know, the the major issues being the midfield, that's where that's sort of risen to the top. Now, you did touch on that a little bit earlier and that Hammers went at Madrid, ended up playing slightly out of position. You know, if I'm, if I'm right in saying he was often sort of on the right side of the attack um, yeah, yeah. and just sort of, you know, really struggled to fit in. What do you expect tactically for, you know, him joining up with Everton? Do you think he'll be yeah. the star man? That that is that is quite interesting the, the way you put it there and you know from the bits I saw of Everton last year that four four two did seem quite quite solid and it, you know was and Charlie made a big bet on that I'd wonder if if that was because as you say it was to fit the players that he had at that stage he didn't have that many central midfielders um to who who could do a job from even putting different people in there who who wasn't maybe their their primary role or the, their, where they're used to playing. Looking from completely from the outside, you'd expect him to change the, the system with the new guys who have signed, who he has signed. It would make more sense to me to move to something like a four-two-three-one and to play Hamid as kind of number ten in, in that system because Hamid, that would be ideal for for, Ham, for Hamid, I would imagine that's where he played for Colombia. That's what worked out so well for him, and it would allow with either the new signings or if Andre Gomez or whoever else plays in in the centre of, of the midfield, that those guys' job will be to do. You know, a lot of the running to, to provide this structural platform on which Hamas can then go about, you know, deciding games on his own. Because if you're if you are set up fairly um, solidly and you have him and then maybe other guys coming in from wide, and um, again, you know, I've seen more of Everton's attackers who would be more likely to play in, in those roles. But if you had pacey guys coming from wide and if you had a somebody to play off a centre forward that that Hamas could play off, then that would be the best way to get the best out of Hammers from from what I've seen of him over his career. Yeah, that, that's a fair shout. And I would say with the, you know, with the attention that this move has attracted, I I wouldn't go far wrong in saying that you know he he will become the the, the main man within the, the starting eleven in terms of attacking creation. Um, I don't know who you've seen recently, but the the club obviously you know they've done a great job at market marketing the move and. They, Provided a lot of content on Hammers, you know, in such a short space of time, they recently put up his first training session with the with the team, and as part part of the clip, he scores an overhead kick, um, <laughs> and his his Colombian his Colombian teammate Yanni Mina is just going absolutely mad there with excitement in the in the background for that. Um, and what I wanted to ask is, obviously, as I said, this is a player that seemingly. For so many years now, has been linked to a move to the Premier League to see, you know, whether or not he can do it in England. Uh, 
do you think the acclimatization period will take long um and what deal of patience do you think Evertonians will have to have with Hammers? Because um, I'm not quite sure if he'll be match fit given the, the limited time that he had with Madrid in his last season. Yeah, like for sure he he is unlikely to come in and hit the ground running really, as you say, because he hasn't played so much over the last year or so. I think personality-wise, I wouldn't expect it to be a big problem for him. I know just from um, different stuff done about him before that, you know, he moved around a lot as a kid. He didn't have the easiest um, of upbringings. You know, moved to Argentina to Buenos Aires when he was very young. Um, you know, come through some some quite difficult personal experiences. He's, he's used to kind of moving around and, and finding a new home in in different places. And as you say, he has Yarimina there as well, who, who should be able to help him out. You'd imagine there's good at Everton. There's a decent amount of Brazilian South Americans um, who will be able to you'd imagine to help him to settle in. The style of football, you know, this is something that is a bit of a bugbear in mind that when people say, oh, you know, he's only played in La Liga, how's he going to handle, you know, playing in, in the Premier League? Like there are there are some quite physical teams in, in La Liga too and, you know, it does get, get pretty tough. And Ham is one of the things about him is that he's not he's not a, a super athlete, I guess it's fair to say. You know, he's a, he's a technical player and he's not the biggest, he's not the, the strongest, um, but he is quite tough. And even in the that World Cup, um, when he you know played his best, he was getting kicked by Uruguayans, getting kicked by the Brazilians as well. And he's a he's a very stubborn, strong kind of mentality guy. So that if he if he's in the right frame of mind to, that he wants to go out and produce for Everton, I don't think like getting kicked or it being a rainy day or or whatever is going to stop him from from you know hurting the other team. Even if they kick him, then he's more likely to to do something. I think that's the kind of kind of guy that he is assuming everything else in his life is good and he's settled and he's happy and he wants to he's motivated to produce for the team I, I don't think it, it will be a case of you know sometimes if, if players do move to a new club whether it's in in England or, or in Spain that you know just doesn't work for them or whatever I you never know with, with a guy but you know my my feeling on Hammers will be that he once he gets himself match fit and, and his sharpness up again you know playing games regularly that he should be good to go that's that's really good to hear, and I'm sure Evertonians will, you know, really be excited of the fact that, you know, he has got that tenacity about him. And if I'm not wrong, from my time of watching, you know, obviously the Colombian national team, they do know how to give it up themselves yeah. uh, in terms in terms of their physicality. Um, just to sort of look at wrapping up the the Everton segment of the podcast now. Um, as you said, you touched on it there. You feel like the you know the the right way to go about it structurally is to put these players around them. I imagine, obviously, with the new recruits, Alan and Decore, two physical players that shoulder more defensive responsibility. Do you feel like that is the the right way to go? It's hard to know. It would depend on his on what his physical fitness is like and how how sharp he gets going. So if um, again, yeah. You guys might have a better idea of that from watching him train or from seeing if when he starts to play, if he gets a run in any preseason games or ahead of what well, he's not going to at this stage. But when he starts to come in and play for the team, he has said, you know, since he joined that he's really looking forward to playing with Ancelotti and that his motivation levels are going to be high. And if that is the case, which maybe a little bit at Madrid and at Bayern, it wasn't always maybe that his mind wandered a little bit. But assuming he is fully focused and really up for, for giving He's all for Everton. Then I'd expect him to start scoring goals quite quickly. You know, the team have a couple of um, 
very good new signings who appear to, to fit with him, as you say, they're two guys who can come in and do it. It's going to be difficult with three key members of the team who are all kind of settling in. So maybe some of the other players, Andre Gomez might, might get a run as well, somebody who I know a little bit from from seeing here in, in La Liga and you know, is a very good player as well. But, you know, trying to predict how many goals he's going to score, how many assists he's going to give it is difficult. But I'd expect him to settle in quite quickly. And once he gets his first goal or once he, it seems that he's he's happy at Everton, then, you know, I expect more to follow. Most definitely. That, that's great to hear. And I know Evertonians are really excited to see James Rodriguez play football at Goodison Park. Um, to push on to more uh, of a career-orientated side of things, um, I, I mentioned to you just before we started recording, Dermot, that I have well, just graduated. I mean, yeah, well, wait, well, we're still, well, <laughs> I've picked the wrong year to graduate, like, but... Um, I've just finished my three years at the university campus of football and business. Uh, I've done a degree in business and media. Cool. Uh, and to, to see someone like yourself, um, you know, obviously, you know, Irish and, you know, from around ra- these parts. So to say, uh, to take on the challenges such as going to, to Spain uh, and embracing Spanish culture, um, I do find it really, really intriguing. Um, so if you wouldn't mind and if, if it's okay, could you just sort of detail um, how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, yeah. Um, like it was definitely wasn't a set career plan that, that I had in mind to end up doing this. Um, I studied communications in in Dublin back at the end of the nineteen nineties. Um, for personal reasons, ended up coming to Spain, and I'd I'd always been a, a writer or a journalist. I'd written about all, all kinds of different things, from like film reviews to property stuff to, to business stuff, technology. Uh, and my first couple of years in Spain, I continued to do that for Irish newspapers to write about um, computers, technology, business, that kind of stuff remotely. Um, not Sometimes not letting on that, that I was in Spain while, while I was writing for the Irish papers. Then I, I made just a, a bit of a, a plan to see, see what it goes. I'd always loved football. I'd always been really interested in, in football and Spanish football as well. And started to write for... Uh, when Saturday Comes was the first magazine, who football magazine that I wrote for, and then got got a really good break with uh, Sport 360, a, a website based out of Dubai, who were looking for a Spanish football correspondent. So that that was the first kind of full time job that I had. So I had to kind of knock some of the the other stuff on the head, and it wasn't wasn't super paid. It was you know very good. Uh, they gave me a lot of of opportunities, but it, it was you know taking a bit of a a risk at that stage, but it got me into to go to the games, which was the main thing to start to go to the, the Bernabeu or, or the Camp Nou and to, to follow the games day to day. At the same time, that was when there was a super amount of interest in, in Spanish football in you know, Mourinho, Guardiola, Ronaldo against Messi. It was right at the top when, you know, the classical was was bigger than it is today in fairness. You know, it was, it was huge at, at that stage. And as a freelancer based in Spain and uh, was easier to sell football stories than it was to to try to write about you know Spanish movies or or a- anything else really that you know people wanted to, to know all about football so that's how I got the break and then from there you know a couple of other breaks along the way and, and ended up with the Athletic today. That's cool that's really that's really interesting to hear that obviously you didn't necessarily start off specializing within football but you know due to your your passion as I feel like that just seems to be the thing within the sports industry to those that work within it there is just a, an undying passion for mm-hmm. football um talking about Spanish football in particular I mean uh, as I say I mentioned to you off camera that I I grew up 
I mean, I'm probably, uh, I'd say I fancy German football a bit more in terms of its supporter-orientated ethos, if you know yeah. what I mean, just in terms of how um, how community-centred German football is. But without a doubt, my first love was Spanish football. Um, I was very blessed and fortunate enough to be able to go to the Camp Nou a few times as a kid and get to watch, uh, you know, in particular the 2006 Barcelona team. So players such as Carlos Puyol, Samuel Eto, who eventually ended up playing to Everton, which I still find mind-blowing to this day. Um, A very young Lionel Messi. uh, I'm one of the few who can say I've got to see him live several times. Uh, Deco, you know, the list just goes on and on of the absolutely world-class talent that was available within La Liga during that time. So just in regards to, to Spanish football, what is it that appeals to you so much? Yeah, like for me, it was amazing when I started off to, to go to to see Messi live or, or, you know, to be in the Bernabeu and that, for that to be your your desk and stick your computer down and start typing away was was pretty surreal. But I, I first really got into Spanish football more from, from fans' point of view. Um, like I had... Some close friends who, who were supporters of Betis as well at that stage, and there was a big fans protest going on against the, the president at that stage. And I kind of got a bit swept up in, in that, um, you know, the political action. You know, I wasn't I protesting that much myself, but it was a social end to it. You know, you go along, you go on the march, you, you meet new people, you get to um, you head out afterwards and, and have a few drinks and talk about football. And that's that was kind of how I ended up becoming having a bit of a. Uh, I like him for Betis as well. And within Spanish football, there's so many other stories as well, like Atletico Bilbao or, or Barcelona, Atletico Bilbao with the, the Basconitas, Barcelona and their, their Catalans, even teams like Cadiz who just got promoted have, you know, they're, they're really unique. And I guess, you know, German football has that as well and Italian football has that as well. But I had a, a personal connection to, to Spain. You know, I'm set up here now with wife, Spanish wife and two kids. And, you know, apart from it being great to watch Messi and, that has been, you know, an experience amazingly or to watch a Pep Guardiola team and to, to get the chance to write about it is has been fantastic. But also to to get to know people who just love their club and to learn so much about Spain, the country through football has been for me maybe maybe even more important than, you know, watching Messi score another wonderful goal, even though that is pretty special as well. Yeah, that that's really nice to hear. Um, and from a from a media perspective, I always find it very interesting to hear from, you know, foreign journalists or people covering sports within different countries. What would you say the biggest differences are between British and Irish press in comparison to the Spanish media? Yeah, I'd say probably the biggest difference is the fact that there is, you know, dedicated sports papers where in England it's a section of of the main paper, like you have Aston Marque in Madrid or Mundo Deportivo and Sport in Barcelona, even Seville, you've got a Serie Deportivo in Valencia, Super Deporte. Every every big city has, um, or the biggest of the cities all have their own dedicated sports papers, which means they're super close to the club. You know, you've got reporters whose whole job it is to to embed yourself almost in Real Madrid or in Barcelona and, and find out stories and write about what's going on there, um, which I guess is a little bit different from from how things work in, in England, even though, you know, obviously there are Manchester United or Everton correspondents who, who are big into it as well, but it's just kind of different when it's it's your own paper. The other thing that is, I found really interesting about Spain was the radio shows at, at night, like on each night from like 11 o'clock at night until like one in the morning, like 
seven days a week. There's three different live radio shows which are, are just filled with, with sports and most of it is football. You know, if, if there's a big basketball story, they'll cover it or Formula One, they'll cover it. But often it, it's just football, football, football. And personally, that was really good way of learning Spanish for a start. Like I used to listen to it all the time and, and read the papers all the time as well. But just, you know, the podcasts of the, the big shows, El Larguero or, or El Transit Stories in, in your one now are like really interesting to learn more from a professional point of view for me, but also just to see um, how Spanish media works and how Spanish culture works and stuff like that. So that's, um, again, not saying that there's no radio shows in, in England, but just the, the sheer amount of of a radio time and what a central part it, it holds in Spanish culture as well. Like these are the most listened to radio shows of, of all. Like El Larguero is a, like an institution in Spain and everybody knows the host was a big, huge deal. Um, slightly off topic this, but there was a huge deal a couple of years ago when one radio station stole the host of another radio station, like of their late night football chat show. And it was like a huge, big deal. Everybody had an opinion on it. People were like, is he being betrayed? People were talking about it was going to cost them like a million euros in order to take this guy and his producers. And, you know, like you see the adverts on, if you go down the motorway, sometimes there'll be like an ad for this radio show and it'll show instead of being like messy on the poster, it's going to be like this radio host who, <laughs> you know, like, but they, they're part of part of the, the culture and they have like Florentino Perez comes on the show. Not, not all the time, but these are, you know, this guy knows Florentino Perez, you know what I mean? Whereas in England, Maybe I'm wrong because you know I've, I've never lived in England, but but in Ireland there's there's lots of really good radio shows, but they don't have this. They're not quite as connected either to the the industry or or just to the general culture as as they are in Spain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And would you say embedding yourself in Spanish culture in that sense, um, listening to radio shows? I know you say you know generally a, a print journalist. Would you say that really helped with uh, learning Spanish and the language barrier? Yeah, for sure. Um, it helped me a lot. It it still is in like my Spanish is is you know it's it's pretty good now. You know I've been here been here ten years, but I still speak with a, a foreign accent, and my vocabulary is still um uh, that of a foreigner. And I I know a lot of words which are you know come out of football. So whereas and in football they might have a slightly different meaning than than they would in in, in normal life. So I'll end up using a word which I'm pretty sure I know what it means and I can spell it and everything. But, you know, it gets a couple of giggles maybe from, you know, the father-in-law or whatever when you, mm-hmm. you bring it up in conversation. So that's, it's been, yeah, it's been super useful. And like embedding, being here makes such a big difference just to understand how things go. You know, I've in a little way, you know, lost touch with, with our sports or English sports because when you're not in the, the country, it's more difficult to um to follow day-to-day what's going on. Uh, being here is such a huge advantage professionally if you wanted to write about Spanish football. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And something for for me that I find particularly interesting is um, obviously a, as a, you know, originally a print based journalist, there's been, you know, a, a real sort of revolution in terms of the media. You, t- you talked about the, you know, the radio shows and their popularity within Spain. And I suppose te- the way technology is advanced, um, the sort of updated version of that, I would say, is there examples of like podcasts uh, and such things. So obviously now in, in your role at The Athletic, obviously, when the the athletic really seems to grip British football and football as a whole, obviously, I think it isn't it um, American based or originally yeah, American yeah. company. So, how have you found that sort of the shift in the business model? Yeah, it's it's been weird. Um, like I have to say, 
the athletic has been it's it's a, it's a super place to work it's a it's a new experience for me as well because i've always been um or up until i joined the athletic i was always freelance so i wrote for different people and um, even i spent a good bit of time writing for espn but at the same time i'd write magazine articles for people or kept in touch with the, the irish examiner newspaper i'd write for them as well from time to time it was with the athletic you, you're more part of a team i was always just a freelancer who could come, come and go in a way whereas there's a a real good there's more contact involved there's maybe a little bit more work involved uh, mm. as well but but there is a, a sense that you're part of something bigger that people help each other out you know there's a lot of, of teamwork goes on a lot of articles that have three or four names on it because you know three or four or even more people have been working hard on it or even you know the guys who, who write about Everton and Greg and Paddy you know if they're doing something about Hamas for instance you know they'll give me a shout and I'll try and give them a dig out if I can or if, if Madrid are interested in signing a player from from Everton, you know, I I get onto them and see, you know, what's the story from your end, or, or how can you help me out with this? So, so that that's been great. That's that's been really good. Um, it's a little like because it's behind the paywall. Maybe not not so many people are, are are able to to read it, which is true as well. But you get it. The people who do read it tend to be, you know, really or more knowledgeable. I, I think it's fair to say about what they're doing. The people who made a bit of an investment in in what they're doing. So, you know, that they really want to read it. They want to find out more and comments and that have generally been positive so it's been it's been a weird time to start in a new company with you know pandemic and you know still haven't been to with the athletic over six months but still haven't been to an actual stadium to, to cover a game for them but it's been um it, it's been good it's been it's been really good yeah that, that's interesting to you. i was going to say how, how have you found the uh the pandemic um over these last couple of months in spain uh it's tough like it's been tough um personally and and that it's been tough professionally it's been strange starting out when there was no games on with the athletic was was a bit weird but um it also gave a little bit of an opportunity to write about more interesting things because you weren't tied to you know a match every saturday match every wednesday you spend a bit more time you know writing four thousand words about athletic bilbao's you know unique history and philosophy and all, all that so so that was kind of good would be great for it to be over you know i know it's it's probably not um not anytime soon but it, it has it has affected football qu- quite a lot and it's affected all of us um in, in different ways so it's it's been yeah not ideal i think it's fair to say yeah no well hopefully you know obviously football is looking to return to some sense of, of normality so you know fingers crossed uh that would be the case for supporters and those working within the industry you touched on it there. I find it really interesting that um, you spent time as a freelancer, and obviously, you know, you talked a little about a little bit about it there, working within a really uncertain environment. Have you got any tips or advice for those who are having to go into working freelance at the moment? For sure, I, I know it's very difficult. To, like having it joined the leg is very fortunate for me, and and I I feel for some people who are freelancing, and it is more difficult to do it at the moment. You know, you you got to do really good work. It's is is the easy thing to say, but that that's part of it. That you have to kind of stand out from from everybody else and pick something that's a little bit different from from what other people are doing. Like, um, it is good to get as much exposure as you can, and to whether you you know that is to to be really active on Twitter or whether you're writing for for if it's a blog or or maybe a, people who don't pay you that much for for what you're going to do, but it. You know, I've been just very lucky, so I, I can be quite wary about, you know, 
giving out lots of advice to people, but just trying to find things that nobody else is writing about or things that the, the people are going to read or the editors are going to like, but that, that hasn't been pitched them before or that they've never heard of before is the, the best way to grab people's attention, I think. Um, like the Messi's six best goals over his Barcelona career it could be a really interesting story and you might do it really, really well, but you're competing against a lot of other people who've done it before and, you know, people who the people with lots of resources to, to spend lots of time looking back over all of his goals. But if you can interview somebody who was there the first time Messi scored or, you know, just try and come up with a, a different way of, of looking at things or come at it from a different angle, that's the the best way to, to grab somebody's attention. Because I know, like, editors get a lot of um, a, a lot of pitches all the time. And when I was freelance, I'd have decent relationships with some editors, but, you know, their budgets were being cut and it was hard for them to to do to give you work even if they wanted to if it, if it didn't really stand out so you know it, it makes it harder to, to, to try to come up with those ideas it's, it's not a, as easy but if you can manage to do it then you know it's the, it's the best way to get into it I think certainly uh, I really appreciate the advice and I just want to say Demet thanks very much for your time and if there's ever anything in the future uh, in regard to the podcast you're more than welcome to come on uh, and talk about things so I just want to say thanks again for your time mate. I really appreciate it Cool, cheers. Enjoy the match,